Hey, this is Max Alper, and you are listening to Lameem Young. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard. <coughs> Critical listening. What the fuck is that? Well, I broke it down here. There's a few different definitions uh, out there. For those of you that want one that's like a published author, maybe, and not a aspiring published author such as myself, there is a book here called Audio Production and Critical Listening, Technical Ear Training by Jason Corey. This is heavy on the technical, as in technological uh, very much this is presented by the Audio Engineering Society, AES. So it's a lot of Pro Tools people. Uh, but it is definitely one of the only uh, fully published texts out there. And it comes with some ear training software that covers this critical listening and technical ear training side of the conversation. Uh what I mean by technical ear training versus musical ear training as broken down here. When we talk about musical ear training in a uh, conservatory setting uh, usually relates to combining music theory chops and solfege chops, uh, sight reading, sight singing, uh, dictation, being able to dictate harmony on paper based on what you hear and to be able to see something on paper and potentially sing it out loud, or in the very least understand by ear what is happening. That's the traditional music uh, theory and uh, musical ear training sense. When we talk about this in the contemporary sense, I mean, <clears throat> how do you relate what is what you are hearing in a recording to what could potentially be played on your instrument of choice, whether it be an electronic instrument or an acoustic instrument, uh, but you are able to uh, translate a musical idea by ear based on what you hear onto whatever it is, whatever apparatus you're using, which has just as much in our case to do with the technical side, the production side. Many of you might be working entirely in a MIDI role, uh, in which case it's the same idea, how to get an idea that you hear onto your DAW, into your DAW, onto the MIDI roll, uh, whether it be through a MIDI controller, whether it be through pointing and clicking, things like that. That is directly related to musical ear training. Technical ear training is when we discuss how do we decipher acoustic phenomena by ear, as in you hear a sound, are you able to determine roughly the ballpark of the Hertz range of that sound? Uh, the decibel range of that sound, hertz and decibels, you know, the frequency of the sound, not the pitch, the frequencies of the sound, because we might have one fundamental pitch, but we can have hundreds, if not thousands of harmonic uh, frequencies related to a pitch or a sound. Uh, so talking about the frequency of it, as well as the loudness, the decibel range, right? Obviously working on a computer where going to be mixing and mastering to a, uh, I guess, relatively safe uh, spectrum of decibels. We're not going to be hurting our ears, but it is good to know 
when a recording is in need of a little boost, uh, maybe add up to five to 10 decibels, you know how much louder that sounds like. That is uh, related to being able to pick up on technical ear to be able to hear something and understand not only the frequency range, but the general ballpark of how loud it is and what it might, what is necessary potentially to make it louder or quieter. Uh, and then the other side of technical ear training related to synthesis, uh, in the very least understanding waveforms and what they sound like, sine waves, square waves, triangle waves, sawtooth waves, and then getting a bit more into synthesis as far as, well, what does, can we pick out an FM synthesized sound, like FM synthesis versus subtractive synthesis versus granular synthesis? These are things that you can slowly pick up on by ear, but along the way, we should be referencing these ideas, these theories with practice. I have a piano MIDI controller set up next to me so we can be testing our musical ear training side of it, but we can also load up a, a synth patch if we wanna really get to the bottom of you know these questions, like what does a square wave really sound like at its rawest form? Uh, and then to you know kind of bring all this together, you know I'm just as much about my context as I am about the content of the music, we should be thinking about why all of these things I just described, uh, <clears throat> the historical trajectory. What does this music have to do in history with everything that came up to before it? Nothing happens in a vacuum, right? So thinking about <clears throat> the trajectory, uh, the, I guess, the school of thought that one style of music belongs to, and how it's led up to that point. And if it's something from years ago, like what it has inspired the legacy of the sound both prior and afterwards. Uh, this is something we have to be thinking about with any music we listen to, uh, whether it be super poppy or super experimental, nothing is in a, va in a vacuum. And then finally, why? Why do we think this music exists? Well, what purpose does it serve? You know, is this sound for the sake of sound? Is this telling us a story? Uh, this is the analysis that could be, you know, get a little wax poetic depending on, you know, the piece itself and how much uh, literal language written by the artists or other writers or critics is out there on certain recordings. But asking ourselves why is an important question when writing, when we're seeking to write our own music and when we're listening to music that we enjoy. Why do we enjoy it? What is it about this that makes us tick? So that's our general outline of what we will be doing with these critical listening seminars every other Sunday. Uh, from here on out, we will just be doing listening. Um, Peter has, our, has been so kind as to volunteer as our first uh, <clears throat> guinea pig track to, to provide us with a track and specific questions related to the track. And I am going to read what Peter has written in the chat, uh, but I want everyone to follow Peter's lead and to find a piece of music or recording, a piece of audio that we can break down from a musical and technical ear training perspective that you have specific questions on. Um, it's first come, first serve. We'll see how many we can get to today. 
but you know, depending on how long we want to spend on each of these examples, but I encourage you all, if there's something that is really, you know, bugging you, something you enjoy that you just really want to know how it's made from the, you know, theoretical music or technical perspective, please provide it that it provide, provide, blah, provide us a link in the chat and ask your questions in the chat. Uh, I will read them out loud and we will get right to it. Um, hold on. <clears throat> so let me open up the link for Peter's example here. What do we have now? Hold on, I wanna make a new. My inspiration is just flowing and Unison MIDI chord packs. This isn't it. We can drag one of these chord progressions in. Boom, just like that. Get this shit out of here. Drag these chords in. Shit like that. Okay, it's Inside World by 10 Point Never. Peter writes, the string chord at the very end of this song, like the last 10 or 15 seconds, is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. I've done my ear training and picked out the notes. It's an E minor additive sixth, but obviously harmony is all about motion. That chord wouldn't be so striking without the rest of the song building a framework for it. So how does this song operate harmonically, especially when it's so diffuse to make the last chord really land really good synopsis of the piece and a good question there so we're going to listen to it through and through and then we will talk about it it's about four minutes over zoom we're not going to get dmca so that's cool here we go Is that right
Really beautiful start. Really great choice to talk about here. Really lovely stuff here. We should just call up Danny L. See what he has to say. Hey, Danny boy. Oh, Danny, I don't care what you're doing right now. Answer the question. <laughs> okay, so what I love about this piece is that as in, in four minutes, all that we're really hearing is kind of like the ice melting and cracking around a full polyphonic chord progression that might actually be in loop. You know, it is an E minor, like you said, Peter, but thinking about how clear the pitch or how clear the root of the piece is doesn't really reveal itself until maybe halfway through where we start to hear more like the root in the low end, that low, uh, that's the root, our E, right? You know, and we're hearing mostly sp kind of scattered minimally at the beginning. Ha, 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 ha. You know, like different pieces like that. But it's the polyphony in the pads, in the longer tones that begins to reveal the chords. And what I'm really hearing here, besides our root, right? Besides our you know, E minor, right? Is hearing the uh, the major sticks, like you said, like they're at certain points we're hearing it suspended. So we are hearing it kind of like, you know, hearing the sixth above it, but then we're also just, you know, going down a third and playing the C major, oh, the major sixth chord, but more in the bass, right? which creates, you know, classic, classic chord progression, minor first to lowered major sixth. But I was also hearing, maybe we can hear a little bit of it here. I believe we were hearing some minor fourth in there going from to Also hearing it in the G too, going from and going up to the relative major, B major in there too. You know, so I'm hearing kind of everything revolves around this. It's not like a fully long tone drone of E minor, but where everything revolves around the root, 
of the E. We can go to the relative major. We can go down a third to the C, uh, potentially up to the A. But I think what's powerful about this is that the polyphony just becomes more and more revealing up until that last 45 seconds. We aren't hearing all of these sounds. So it does kind of hit you at this point. And then there's like a bird, <laughs> bird like in there too at some points. Classic plunder phonics, not necessarily using musical sounds. Uh, yeah, general MIDI, exactly. Um, but what I think that we're hearing, and maybe you know, maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm scratching at the answer here because obviously the emotional impact that music has on us is going to be subjective for everybody, but. Dynamically speaking, we're starting with very spacious snippets of sound, staccato. By the end, it's full. It's like I was saying, like the ice has melted and revealed behind it all of this harmony that's surrounding, you know, sometimes going to here, sometimes going to here, still going back to here by the end, right? Um, Minimal to maximal, yeah, that's one way of putting it. I don't know, I mean, Peter, do you have, is there something looking at the question here, just like, how does it operate? To me, it feels like everything is still rooted in the pedal point, the drone of E. Whether or not we hear it is something that reveals itself by the end. But to me, it just feels like the gate is just slowly opening up more and more over this, you know, kind of semi-automated, you know, moving around the revolving around E. Yeah, I think that's a very good answer. I think I think I was, you know, that chord, like a, a, another piece of this is that like uh, chords with like gentle dissonances, like minor seconds in there just really get me for some reason. Mm -hmm. But so I, I can get very laser focused on that chord sometimes. And it's helpful to zoom out and see what you're saying about like the shape of this song compositionally and harmonically is, is, is precisely what gives it such impact. Cause it's like the it's, it's the climax of it. Exactly. It's I a perfect now, climax. I think now I want to go and listen to because this has been performed live a few times in different mm. OPN eras. So I think what I want to do now is go listen to some of those recordings and see if that carries through to the rearrangements of it yeah. so that I can pick out to see if, if you and I have correctly determined that being sort of the intention of this compositionally. Yeah, because I know also his live setup is always changing. His setup in general is always changing. Um, yeah, he did this at Myriad with like a full band. Yeah, um, right. Right. Yeah. I'd be curious because, you know, what we hear as far as like instrumentation goes, we can, you know, here's a little technical, the technical production side of this is that like we're hearing plunderphonic vocal and other found sound musical samples and then synthesized padded har harmony polyphony. Right. Now those two things can be like, all well, of yeah, it I mean, in a playback setting that like is gated and he could just trigger on off like well, mute, yeah, and unmute. I, I mean on a, on a conceptual level this album is all about merging those texture putting yeah. those textures in new harmonic and compositional ideas that you would mm. normally hear them in right mm. um 
last thing I'll say is that there's like a, I just remembered while you were talking about this and I'll have to drop it in resources in the discord later, but during my undergrad music work, I remember I actually ran across a study at one point, which suggests that even untrained listeners, just like rando humans prefer or find more beautiful chords with, with mild dissonance over mm. straight consonant chords. So chords like this one with an add six or like suspensions or like or like right. ninths and sevenths and things like that. Right. Off the Adding some can. sort of uh yeah, I mean suspension is suspenseful. There is tension in there. You know what I mean? It's just having something that that it's it's the human element to it of some sort. I don't know. I feel like combining it here also with like synthesized voice as uh clearly not a uh clearly like a single ha. Huh, that's just being like recorded uh, via MIDI and you know, chromatically, you know? Well, so and very the, the sonic revelation occurred, the, the revelation occurs not just compositionally, but sonically because more and more genuine, it's those strings are definitely real strings. Like the expression there is way too much for- Right, right. It's and like, so a, or, or in the very least, like not some like corny sample yeah. pack, you know, that's so not the clearly plunder phonic. <laughs> So that's so so we get warmth and and more like uh, uh, fullness uh, texturally as well as as well as harmonically. I right. Guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that like one of tricks has a budget. So like if they're going for an aesthetic low, lower fidelity sound of production, that's like. A, you can you can bet that's a strictly uh that's a very intentional route because if they want to create that contrast to the most lush expressive highly produced string sound to create that contrast there you know it's very clearly like just two different shades two different colors right and that's like something to think about with like on the technical side on the production side of it is like you know why do we make things sound like it was recorded to tape when it wasn't clearly we're clearly all recorded in Ableton or why do we use tape emulators in Ableton and things like that? Uh, and maybe, you know, something of, again, one tricks being the God of this shit, like hauntology, you know, like creating a memory through production styles, you know, not just the music and the instruments themselves, but how it's recorded. Uh, one tricks is one example of an artist that, I think really toys with that, with our ears and our emotions, not just with the uh, music, but how it's mixed, how it's recorded, the media, which it's recorded to. You know, there are other people too. Caretaker, obviously another big one. I hear he's a dick. I hear, I got, I got on record, Caretaker is an absolute prick. He's a prick, which is very upsetting. One o tricks. Very nice guy. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Peter. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Great questions. All right. Will has sent us a track with, with the question, I want to know why I like this so much. Is it the BPM, sound selection, music progression, or something? Or something. This is in heavy rotation at times. So let's just take this as a big picture analysis. What the hell is happening and why? 
and maybe 20 years of heartbreaks and right. the greatest Tom victories. Brady advertisement. To get to the Super Bowl is hard. <laughs> to win is even harder. Face trash. Realizing. By Laser Hawk. Here we go.
See right there, this is this is an act of pure minimalism, if you ask me. We got this is Laser Hawk, a contemporary synthwave artist, did a little research just so I could be up on who who we're listening to uh, before we talk about it. So this is a contemporary artist, uh, not uh, it's not eighties, it's not eighties pop. It is uh, synthwave, as in contemporary music made with uh, 80s specific uh, hardware or hardware synthesizer emulators in mind, uh, which you know very present here, that very classic 909 uh, and uh, mono, mono synth uh, baseline going throughout. You know, this to me is like velvet underground levels of minimalism in a synthwave context because there was one time where the baseline changed, like right around the middle, one, two, two, yes. This was the smallest, the B section here was like, the shape of this piece was like A, B, a, you know, like it was the tiniest little B section right here in the middle. And more of that was just a breakdown before returning to the main refrain here. Uh, but what we have here just from music, E minor, right? And then going down to the major third beneath it, I believe. Yeah, let's figure out the bass line. D, B, C, F, D, D, C, D, F. And then we're going to the major uh, sixth beneath it, which is, uh, whoops. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we were just going down. No, we went down just to the, uh, the dominant. My bad. We went down to the seventh, dominant seventh beneath it. So we're just doing two chords. It's just the major seventh beneath it. So that's really all that we have here, which is like classic, you know, American style drone, if you ask me, because it reminds me of uh, Velvet Underground, you know, utilizing just like major chord with a dominant seventh, just like never ending singular chord. But even that is just blues. You know what I mean? Really, all that we have here is a, you know, dominant seventh back to root. Uh, minors, minors, two chord blues. Really, it's in the root of in the in the I guess uh, structure of this. So that works for me as a reason why this is effective, regardless of instrumentation. BPM and instrumentation add to the driving, you know, energy of it. But it's like one of the oldest tricks in the book. It's just like doing a two chord two chord uh, minor scale uh, root and then uh, dominant seventh, you know? 
that works. Why mess with a good thing, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is just the synth wave uh, manifestation of that in my mind. I mean, Will, do you think that this is like what speaks to you about this more related to the type of synthesis that we're hearing? Because obviously from the technical standpoint, this is very much rooted in that, you know, Juno and TR-909 sort of sound. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the sounds and the way it's used because it just like, it makes the brain do the good things. If that makes any sense whatsoever. It's like, it activates my almonds. It, uh, whatever. I don't know. It's just something full about arrangement, it. Though. It's a full it's arrangement we yeah. got here, you know, like it's not only like bass and poly uh, polyphony, but we have, you notice with the envelope too, like the main chords being like softer, but then in the higher end arpeggiator, we have this very plucky. So we have lots of layers yeah. here that could satisfy kind of all your arrangement needs from, you know, an ensemble perspective, thinking about rhythm section, melody and harmony, you know? Uh, I feel like this, what it's missing for me is some sort of lead instrument. You don't really have that. It's all, it feels repetitive in the way that like one of the second half of the loop should have something wailing on top of it. If you ask me, yeah, that's just what I was, I was, my ear was itching for in that. Case. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, maybe it's like an ADHD thing, but it's like when I put this track on, it's like, for that duration, I can kind of almost think clearly. Yeah, well, maybe it's because of the re repetition and yeah, duration specifically. Do with it. You no, know, it's it's obviously very repetitive music, and maybe it's because there isn't a lead melody that it allows you to like meditate on the repetition without being distracted by the melody. Rather, we're maybe. just you know the safety of hearing the same loop 32 times but at like a danceable fun tempo and rhythm that makes it uh enjoyable but not like i guess like insisting on itself you know like because i think if it went for another minute we would start to get into you know overly repetitive category territory um so i don't know maybe it's something to do with that peter you had something to say my cat is snoring and it's the most adorable sound. Turn it up a little bit. You're quiet. My cat is snoring and it's the most adorable sound I've ever heard. Oh, I can't anyway, hear it. Yeah, I know. I'm going to try to record it once I finish talking. Um, <laughs> so uh, I didn't hear this in a synthwave context as much as I heard it in a chart pop context. I heard this in the framework of... Because the I recognized the type of listening that you were describing will this like type of compulsive listening almost um you know where you just you, you keep wanting to go back to it for some reason and you have periods of, of your life maybe it's a day maybe it's a week where it's just all you can't get rid of it um and you you um i know that for me uh and maybe maybe this is something that you have maybe not but like sometimes like i need to listen to a song otherwise i get a headache right um yeah you're nodding so i'm guessing this might be so <laughs> i put this in the lineage of um 
there's a specific type of pop song that exists in this very similar like a a a a a a a format um best the the good example is can't get you out of my head uh the bad example is uh i got a feeling uh <laughs> but in both of those cases both of those you know those songs were hits you know this wasn't this, this song that you played for us isn't a radio hit but i think both of those songs operate in a way that's similar to this from a songwriting and from a compositional perspective and achieved that same compulsive listening phenomenon with a much greater mass of people because both of those things weren't just hits they were like enduring hits like they hung around in the middle of the charts for a very long time after they peaked right um and they both also live in that like craft workian space of like straight rhythms and like one v one v one v and they both also as max was saying there's like this thing with the melody where the melody isn't necessarily the center of it i think both can't get you out of my head and i got a feeling they have sing sing along melodies but like the melodies are not the ex are not really the anchor of the song mm. um the anchor of the song is usually is, is like a synth part much like with this right i would make the argument that those examples too are just in line with like the ramones like you know like why is blitzkrieg bop still like as as recognizable now as it was like 50 fucking years ago at this point because of the simplicity and repetition and again it's like the full package and arrangement of this repetition like yes there's sing song melodies uh such as there is in a kylie minogue song but it's also the safety in repetition for just the right amount of time to make it in that case i mean it's punk but that's pop music you know what i mean and and even looking that's why i'm saying like that's why i started with like the velvet underground and even before that blues because again like punk is just another offshoot if ex exactly that i would say ramones are a post velvet underground band uh if we're talking like new york music history right so uh you know maybe we're we're all kind of these different branches off of the same pop tree and uh maybe at the root of pop both the musical framework and its recorded instrumentation framework is uh it works because less is more minimalism works you know minimalism is applicable beyond uh experimental avant-garde into territories that are you know people want like you said will to be able to zone out or to just think clearly to meditate with music on, you know, it serves a very utilitarian purpose. Uh, people need to dance. They need the release, you know, uh, Peter said in the chat, there's a few, there are a few formulas we've worked out since we started making music a financial instrument. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Uh, yeah. Like I would, I would place this, what I mean is I would place this type of song form, this type of construction alongside like, the ice cream chord progression that's in every pop song uh -huh. as like just this thing that we keep doing because we figured out that it tickles it tickles a lot of people's <laughs> brains in the right way you know need a psychoacoustic psychologist person to like give us a real reason as to why one four five makes everybody gush but there you go or a root to a dominant seventh why 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 science why i don't know we can only ponder. Thank you, Will. Great example. 
All right, let's get another one in here. Uh, Evan has sent us one. This is my selection. I'm quite interested in the production of music theory behind creating the calming, peaceful atmosphere without the feeling of getting too repetitive, maybe more like a big picture analysis as well. Well, let's see what it is, shall we? Midori Takada, classic. We got a big, we got a long one here, so we might just be skimming through a little bit. This is Mr. Henry Henri Rousseau's Dream. This is a 12-minute track, so let's do some skimming. Every few minutes, I'll do a little bit of skimming on here, but I encourage you all to get the full recording from the chat if you do so want to. Okay, here we go. Buffering. Goddamn 12 minute. <laughs> Come on. Way too many. Way too many tabs. Sorry. One second here.
Oh yeah, Midori. Oh my goodness. The Japanese goddess of ambient and what we can call the the ma effect that we hear in a lot of both Japanese ambient and uh, percussion music as well. Uh, sort of heard a lot in the work of Akio Suzuki is sort of tapping into a lot of ancient Japanese aesthetics that we hear in art and ma is one of them, uh, meaning negative space. So the usage of silence or lack of activity in contrast, just as much yin and yang with the uh, <clears throat> when with sound itself. So the use of space in this is really uh, provocative. Uh, but I want to ask y'all something here, and I want to see if you picked up on this. Why is this piece from, in the very least, a musical theoretical standpoint? Why is this piece the exact same structure as Space Trash, the previous piece? Does anyone know? Can someone tell me in the chat? Someone can let me know. I want to find the key we're in before. What was the key here? Ooh, we're getting into some Japanese microtonalities here. We're somewhere between. So, so let's say we're in. Let's say we're in B flat or A sharp. I mean, technically, this is definitely uh, uh, in between the two. Ooh, thunder. Hope my power doesn't go out knock on wood uh <clears throat> but what we're hearing here what i was going to say the what we're hearing uh and why this is the same framework as uh space trash the previous piece is that we have a quote minor mode uh, some sort of minor mode as the root and then we go to the major seventh dominant seventh beneath it dun, dun, dun. We're just hearing two chords. All it is is the root and the major seventh beneath it. A step of whole step down and then a whole step up, up, down, whole step up, whole step down. Obviously, again. Somewhere between. hear you can hear that we're on a microtonal scale but we all we do have this pitch relationship root whole step down whole step back up to the root whole step down it's just one a section as far as the harmonic changes go what we are hearing are different layers entering and exiting which is why i think maybe what Evan was trying to get at is why does this not feel overly repetitive? And it's because we're not just hearing this constant chord hammering in the low end. Sometimes that happens. Other times there's barely anything except bird song. There's barely any real musical material occurring. And it's more of this strictly sonic found sound uh, uh, field recording elements to it. Or we hear these different uh, pitched percussion elements that aren't necessarily harmonic 
in the synthesized padded chord ways, but are single metallic gong sounds with very rich harmonic frequencies built into their fundamental sound. Like trying to find some of the percussion elements here. Obviously there are bells and flutes. this polyphonic overdubbing of flutes occurring still over the same root whole step down to seventh back up to root chord progression here uh trying to find these moments of the little picture percussion. yes Sounds almost like uh, one of those uh, tongue drums that have the little uh, pitches on the slots next to them. You ever see them? They kind of look like, I don't know, little metal bowls. Uh, but then on top of that, hearing the textural percussion where it's just about those wood blocks going, these kind of just textural uh, uh, <clears throat> sort of uh, tremoloing occurring. Uh, really, really nice entrances and exits of arrangement. If we were to look at this in a macro view of like the DAW or like how it would look in tape view, we would we would wouldn't see one sound continuous. Everything would be in pieces and in layers so that nothing necessarily repeats itself. It's exactly the same over and over again. Who just texted me? Dan Lopadin just texted me. Oh, <laughs> name drop. Uh, I don't know, am I in trouble? No, he's just sending me a, a found sound. He's literally just sending me shit for my Instagram. <laughs> like everybody else. I thought maybe somebody else DM'd him and was like, yo, we're talking shit about you. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so I'm not sure, Evan, about what, exactly makes this not seem overly repetitive considering it's only two chords here but you know what makes ambient music and drone music uh so appealing to many people is the ability to find these sort of find your corner in this large room and focus on that space and not necessarily feel like these other sounds are encroaching upon you. Everything is at a safe distance, but also the safety and repetition, like I had mentioned with the previous piece, you know? Why mess with something that works? Just because we're making spacious, almost ancient Japanese-inspired uh, uh, ambient music doesn't mean we can't still rely on contemporary tropes, such as two, two chords that we know work. You know, keeping our harmonic progression simple uh, and grounded uh, while not necessarily overloading us with sound in the production, you know, keeping it spacious, but also repetitive. That's my thoughts on the matter. Beautiful example of Midori Takata, Mr. Henry Russo's dream. Got three great examples today. Great great ideas from everyone. I don't know 
if Stephen wants to provide one to wrap us out, or if we can just wrap it here, if you want to provide another example. Stephen, you got a track that you want to, you have any questions about that, you know, has been on your mind in your, in your discogs that you want to talk about? Any example you want to send us? Yeah, but first, yeah, go ahead. Let me check a quick question. Yeah. Did this start? What's the time? And I just jumped on now, but is yeah. it was two it starting at two, two Eastern? Damn it! That's why I missed it. Okay. Um, Goddamn Midwest. <laughs> <sighs> Young what do you got for us? Late. You have a you have a link that we can uh to to a track that we can talk about. Yeah, let me here. Let me find the link. Just a sec. Is that Lowell Elementary, as in Lowell, Mass? As in, uh, no, that's here in Madison, my own yeah. kids' school. Lowell, Mass. That's where RRR Records is. Legendary noise venue and record store. <clears throat> oh, I'm not finding a link to what I'm looking for. Uh, we can skip and go on to someone else because I can't find the one I'm thinking of. I think you'd be the last one today. Give me the give me a name. I can look it up. Uh, Autecker Gelk, G E L K. Autecker Gelk. Gelk. Reference for this, Max. If we send to you Spotify or Apple Music links, would you be able to open those? Or Apple you... Music links, I can open. Spotify, no. You know me. Okay, we got the. I got the link up here. Uh, Stephen, do you have a specific? question related to either music musical or like technical production ear training that we can uh decipher or would you want to just kind of go at it from the macro view like what the hell is going on so the macro view for the probably just like the first opening part for the way that the um the way the melody that opens and then the, the way it works with the rhythm cool 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 all right let's take a it's about nine minutes so i'll do a little skimming but uh, we'll get to listen to most of it. If I'm, I'm assuming anything, if it's Autecker, it's gonna be repetitive too. So <laughs> here we go.
Gotta love like a live radio electronic jam. This is from a Peel session, right? So this is this is a live, live performance from them in sometime in the late '90s. I'm assuming here. Um, what I really love about this is that it 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 gives to me it gives to me like everything that you'd want from like a live instrumental jam, even so much as like a drum circle with drum machines kind of uh vibe going on here is that like it's a constantly evolving and and morphing into something else uh and but very naturally goes from like a very clear main a rhythmic section that it starts it out at and ends in a very a completely different b with lots of hazy processing and granular manipulation getting us in between A and B and then letting us play out in sort of a decay fashion here. But what we're hearing from the, you know, instrumentation standpoint, if we're listening, I guess, to the first half uh, or the very beginning, right, uh, is a combination of 
multi-layered percussion and multi-layered uh, harmony through both like polyphony, polyphonic instruments, but also layers of arpeggiators, right? Let's just go back just because I wanna, of, of all the pieces we've heard uh, today, this is the least repetitive and most uh, through composed rather than based solely in loops starting at A and ending in Z is where we're at in this one. Uh, let's hear the beginning again, just to get a little, our refresher here. Such a different ending than, than how it begins. So we have the main drums, but on top of that, there is also this kind of woodblocky, clicky, glitch. It's more and glitchy as it continues. That's kind of like our fills track, right? Like of all the drum parts, that's like our, as if he's like rolling on the snare, like right? Uh, which is really fucking nice. But the uh, harmonic materials here, different layers of monophonic sounds. Obviously our bass, boom, oh, that's much more directly in line with kick and main percussion part, but the other parts, there's that and some sort of doubled octave version of that, that they seem to be kind of stereo panning. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but like kind of moving around in stereo with each other. And then there's also this like feedback heap, uh, 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 happening that's not really, it's kind of dissonant if you listen to it. very modal between these sounds. Some of them seem very much in line with the bass line, and then that other one kind of floats on top of it, going in and out, I guess, of consonants through dissonance with that. Um, I'm curious what they use for this setup, particularly knowing that it's like 1999, right? Have they always been computer musicians? Did they have like hardware phases? Uh, you know, because these guys are going as far back as like Aphex Twin and, you know, you go to Aphex so Twin. Were, as, uh, as far as I understand it, it's all, it's all like, you know, the early was all sort of very simple hardware devices, mm -hmm. all the stuff that was cheap in the late 80s and yeah. 90s, and then late 90s moved into Macs. So late, so this is like early state, early computer music stages for them. Yeah, as far as like just doing like this hyper algorithmic sequencing. Yeah, yeah. so this is so this is all happening in like Max 1.0 basically, or when Max was still like a, uh, you know, C a C project or something like that. And just uh, thinking about working with that gives me nightmares. Got to be honest. Yeah, no, it's crazy because this is algorithmic jamming, right? Like they're setting off these different patterns. Very much meter of nowness vibes going on here, even though we are in four, right? 
but we aren't necessarily hearing, depending on which pattern, which arpeggiated pattern, we aren't necessarily hearing it line up exactly uh, with the one or re restarting the phrase. Um, but what I think is really cool, again, looking at the big picture here is that over the course of nine minutes, we're never really going back. There might be, you know, first few minutes in this developing this sort of rhythmic phrase, you know, maybe by three minutes or so. It's like we have a motif, boom, down, 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 boom, boom, right? But within, you know, the minutia of every repetition, little things change, you know? So it's, it is kind of like adding like, you know, a little flair, a little, uh, little uh, fill material on not just percussive elements, but the, uh, the uh, arpeggiated melodic elements as well. And then just again by middle section. Allowing it to completely decay, I think is really like a, when you're like doing structured improvisation or you have one, two sections that you need, you have a main A section and a main B section. How do we get from A to B? Well, we could just let the A just completely dissolve into like disintegrated nothingness or just granular noise, right? Like we have in these just very spacious cavern. We're swinging. <laughs> that is a really beautiful just drop, you know? I think that having that is really ballsy, that basically right after the halfway point, we allow almost silence to occur, and then bones, cats, badoo, new BPM, new rhythmic phrasing, entirely on a swung, heavy swing element to it. And it's just basically another song. Um, same tools, completely new parameters, you know? We would have to assume that listening to these sounds is that we're hearing the same patch with new, you know, settings, right? Being that this is like late 90s live performance of computer music. All this trip hop what do we call this you know <laughs> this is really wonderful stuff man yeah i mean looking at this from the macro view it's just finding a way to get from the a section to the b section with enough patience that it doesn't feel like it's a dj mix where we're bringing in both but rather allowing a to like fully grow and decay and then in the murky decay, suddenly the B drops. I could have imagined this coming in a little smoother uh, or I was expecting something to happen a little more uh, like intro into drop, but the fact that they just brought the B section out like that, I think was really bold um, and fun, you know? <laughs> like I think that like allowing them to have fun with this, this is still, even though it's algorithmic computer music, they're still making danceable, in this case, like straight up hip hop, you know, uh, really enjoyable stuff. Thank you for giving us that uh, final listening example for today. And I think that'll do it.
for today, y'all. Was this like enjoyable going through this stuff? Steven will be be here on time for the full picture next time. Uh, but I'm hoping that this was fun. Thank you. Thank you very much for hanging out. I'm so glad uh, this is being recorded. So obviously we'll post it up and, you know, people will take a listen. But uh, yeah, every two weeks we'll be doing this. So I'll see you for this on the fourth no september 4th will be our monthly project presentation so maybe september 11th <laughs> oh god um <laughs> great <laughs> well well you can't on on that on that next session you can't bring any songs that have the word bomb in them yeah no not allowed plain. hey i told daniel lopadin that we just deciphered inside world and he said that's the most much slept on track so cool so I disagree with one of tricks point never about his own music. Still, <laughs> still life is by far the most slept on OPN track. Oh, well, he's asking if the class was documented. Maybe I'm going to have to throw him a link. We'll get him on next time. He'll just be on the pod. He's a busy man. I need to lock it in with him. I keep bringing it up, but you know, sometime soon. Anyways, thanks y'all. See you later. Deuces. Thank you for listening to another episode of Lameem Young with me, Max Alper. You can sign up for the Patreon virtual classroom at lameemyoung.com, where we also are now offering monthly and weekly private lessons for those looking to get a more individualized pedagogical approach. Thanks again. <laughs>